This podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Wadawurrung people, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Hi, you're listening to Ingredipedia, a food fight podcast where we don't just hurl food at each other, we hurl facts and stories and uses about a specific ingredient every episode. My name is Ben Birchall and I'm joined by Emily Naismith. Hi, Em. Hello. Today we're talking oats and in my opinion, the best thing you can make with oats oh, you're is gonna porridge. You're going to say porridge. I freaking love it. And when I say it's the highlight of my day, having porridge for breakfast, I'm not exaggerating. Like, And my days are good, I swear. But mm. I just really love porridge. Yeah, okay. You're not a porridge guy. Not you? a porridge guy. Mm. Well, I make porridge yeah. all the time for other members of my family. Yeah. The th- particularly the three year four year old member of my family. And I just find it it's like messy. You've got to make like a whole batch. You're making a, a like a pot dirty. Oh. It always anyway. You know, right. to change no my mind. I will. I will change your mind by the end of this episode. No worries. <laughs> Let's fight about it. Okay. I'm going to give you some porridge for this fact, okay? Okay. Warning. Not my own standard recipe, which is rolled oats, always Uncle Toby's, about half milk, half water, a lot of cinnamon, um, cook on the stove till it's like quite thick, then top with a banana, chia seeds, sunflower seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts, and three types of peanut butter. That's your standard. <laughs> That's my standard. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I sometimes have, if there's leftovers, a savoury breakfast dessert, which I, I think I've talked about on the podcast before with white pepper and chilli oil, maybe mm. some magic sauce. Mm-hmm. That's a nice breakfast. Yep. Um, so I'm particular. So when I saw this article a few months ago about how to make elite porridge yeah. by an Australian who's ranked in the top six porridge makers in the world, I had to petition us to do the oats episode for several months and I finally, finally wore <laughs> you down. why you kept bringing it up? <laughs> um, and I want to make this fancy porridge, except it's not actually fancy. You don't use milk, mm. only water. There's only three ingredients. Um... So this is according to an article in The Guardian by Yvonne C. Lamb. Um, She goes into the rules of the World Porridge Making Championships in Scotland and it says no milk, rolled oats or accoutrements are permitted in the traditional porridge category, only water, untreated oatmeal and salt. Really? So. So rolled oats are like, are they a fancy thing that have been? Yeah, I think they're like processed in a way. So Australia's top porridge maker is Toby Wilson and his <laughs> recipe. Well, can we just say <laughs> oh, that yeah, his name true. is Toby? Yeah, true. I didn't even think of that <laughs> <laughs> from a long line of. Um, so he uses whole oat groats, mm-hmm. which are the hulled kernels of the oat grain, and he stone grinds them on his commercial mill, which he has because he's a chef um, at a taco place in Sydney. But he said an easier alternative is steel cut oats. So I have them. Mm-hmm. I use them. For the competition, he uses Scottish mineral water from the mountains, but he says filtered water will do. I use tap water. (laughs) And then he adds salt. He likes one teaspoon per serve, which is very salty. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, He says it should be the flavour of going for a run and the sweat falls into your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That's very evocative, Toby. (laughs) Um, Golden ratio is one part oats to three parts water. 
cook on medium high heat till it reaches a high simmer. Then he lowers the temperature to a gentle blip so the bubbles just break the surface. Then you've got to stir the porridge for 10 to 15 minutes constantly. Mm. And he likes to top his porridge with a pat of butter and a sprinkle of brown sugar. He says it's creamy and salty and buttery and chewy, all the nice things. So I've made some for you. Okay. To be honest, I made it a while ago. <laughs> um, but I just warmed it up. So it's not like exactly correct. And I've got a little bit of butter to melt on top. Okay. And I've got a little, you know, sound super excited. Okay, the sugar. A yeah. Bit of sugar. I was just a bit worried about how salty it's going to be. Yeah. Well, I mean. Because let me tell you that the that salty version is not what I make for my four year old. There's yes. there's lots of sugar involved <laughs> in the one I make for her. All right, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it did get a lot of butter. It's so salty. I was like, it's really salty. It really does taste like you've just been for a run. There's nothing that says that oats need to be sweet, right? It's just that about 80% of what we eat oats in, mm. and we'll talk about some of those things uh, in, in my subsequent facts, are sweet things. So it's just like a little bit of a, uh, yeah, it's not unpleasant. No. like Butter makes it good. A little sprinkling of sugar is good. Like it's got sweet and salty, which, yeah. my, which is my jam. It's warming. Mm. It's filling. You're coming around. I can see it. I'm slow. Like it's a, it's <laughs> like a huge tanker ship just slowly turning in the harbour. But uh, I haven't stopped eating it. So. Yeah. I reckon it's like being dunked under a wave as soon as you wake up in the morning. Like it's that salty. Yeah. At the beach. Yeah, but but warm. Mm. Needs peanut butter though in my <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Okay, and it's interesting that you brought up your brand, the brand of porridge that you eat, the brand of porridge oats that you eat, mm. the uh, the rolled oats, Uncle Toby's. So I want to talk about Uncle Toby's. Okay. At the core of Uncle Toby's is a mystery. The mystery is, who is Uncle Toby? Okay. Well, I'm intrigued. Do you have any? <laughs> do you have any theories? Have you heard any stories? Well. Um, based on their logo, mm -hmm. there's like two, from memory, there's two very old fashioned people. Mm -hmm. One might be like kneeling down in front of them, the other one or something. So kind maybe there's leaning over, leaning over. Okay. Um, a woman in a, in a bodice and a yeah. full skirt leaning over a, a man in a, a red coat. I'm going to guess that uncle Toby is that guy and he's really old. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's get to the bottom of it because yeah, uncle Toby's is I guess the main brand of, of oats we get in Australia, they make oats, muesli bars, other quote-unquote kind of health foods. Um, they're celebrating their 130th birthday this year. If you're at a supermarket in Australia, you'll see kind of slightly weird commemorative oh, boxes. I went crazy trying to get like a cool retro one and I accidentally bought Quick Oats and it was the worst week of my life. I've actually, I'm actually working working my way through some Quick Oats as well. Yeah. It's so disappointing. Yeah. Um, so that, that's who they are. Um, but, yeah, the, the question for me is who is Uncle Toby? This is from their own About page 
Following the gold rush in Australia, two brothers, Leonard and George Parsons, left England and started manufacturing John Bull Oats in Melbourne. In 1861, the Uncle Toby's Company was born, originally under the name of Parsons Brothers. It wasn't until the expansion of the railway in the 1890s that enabled more of Australia to be opened up for farming, but also enabled our oats to be transported all over Australia. In 1893, the Uncle Toby's Oats product was introduced to the market by Clifford Love & Co. in Sydney, and well, the rest is history. So no mention of a Toby here. Yeah, okay. So I kept digging. Mm -hmm. No mention on their website. That's fine. Sure, it's their 130th birthday. They might want to maybe reconcile (laughs) with their past, update their, their about page perhaps, but they haven't. Fine. So I dug up an article from the Financial Review in 1991. It was about... The uh, the success of the company. I think they just floated. Maybe they just like part sold to a, a foreign entity. And they've done done that a few times. Now they're owned by Nestle. Um, that that big uh, touchy feely happy company. Um, so from this article, the Uncle Toby's name and a woman and man logo that you mentioned, Em, you called it to mind pretty well, were created by a member of the Love family, owners of Clifford Love and Co. in 1893 for a new range of oats. I found an ad there from. Uh, 18, no, from 1930-something. It says, Healthy children, medical experts earnestly recommend those who have the care of the young to use Uncle Toby's rolled oats for summer food as they possess every property necessary for f- forming bone, muscle, and flesh. Whoa. <laughs> Which is unsubstantiated. You get your kids to form flesh somehow. <laughs> um, so that article, it gives a clue as to where, where the name came from, but again, no uncle no Toby, just somebody from the family dreamt it up. Which brings us to the logo from as early as the 1950s, um, a woman seeming to embrace or lean over a portly older gentleman. That's where we start to get a bit of a theory emerge. And I want to show you this painting. Can you describe the painting there? There's an old guy in a red coat and white tights and shorts. Mm -hmm. Um, Bridges, doing the man spread next to a woman who's kind of looked like she's got something in her eye and he's like inspecting it or mm. something. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's a, it's a little bit of a strange, uh, action in, but you know, you'll see that it's a, it's a man and a woman and a man yeah, in yeah. a red coat, a portly older gentleman in a red coat. That is a painting by Charles Robert Leslie. And it's a scene from Tristram Shandy called Uncle Toby and the widow Wadman. So this is where another theory starts to emerge, that Uncle Toby is referenced to a character in Lawrence Stern's 1759 novel, The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman. Mm-hmm. So, but it's from 1759. There's a character named Uncle Toby. That painting depicts uh, a portly gentleman in a red jacket being embraced or attended to, comforting a woman much like the Uncle Toby's logo. So the plot for me has thickened like porridge left on the stove too long. So why is there virtually no mention of potentially Tristram Shandy inspiring the name Uncle Toby's anywhere on the internet? I do not know, my friend. I do not know. (laughs) Well, I found one mention. This is from a blog post from 2008 from a man named John Halbrook, uh, a Canadian who moved to Australia in the 1990s, recorded his thoughts on a blog spot. It's a real mm-hmm. old school blog spot. Uh, he's written a story about porridge. And he says, which brings us around to the breakfast cereal. When Clifton Love, an entrepreneur from Sydney, decided that his family-owned spice grinding business should branch out into milling oats, his sister Nellie, 
was enlisted to come up with a name for the new product line. She latched on to Uncle Toby and devised the logo, which has barely changed in 115 years. So she latched on to the, the character Uncle Toby from Tristram Shandy. This is new information. It combines the information from the Finn Review story that it was a family member who came up with the name and it connects it to Tristram Shandy. But the same claims weren't repeated anywhere else online. So I checked in with John. Oh, really? Asking for his source. And he replied, this is from John. Uh, I said, you know, where did, where did you get that source from? I can't find it anywhere. There's no connection to Uncle Toby's Oats and Uncle Toby's this the character. This is unlike us to check sources. <laughs> check yeah, <facts>. very <laughs> unlike us and very, very unlike me. So John replied, thanks for the question. I'm back in Canada now and my blog days are long over, which is sad. I like your blog, John. It's very charming. But I'm glad you just discovered it and liked what you wrote about Uncle Toby's. I asked him, What's the connection there? I feel like there's a connection and they're sweeping under the table. He said, I have no idea how I came up with Nelly, but I don't make stuff up when I'm writing nonfiction, so I must have discovered it somewhere. Of course, that source may not be accurate. And then he says, I'm still eating oatmeal most every day. Good luck with the podcast. I'll check it out. It looks like you have some hot stuff in there. We just put the chili episode up. So that was a uh, as a, a pun from John. Thank you very much. So, so uh, left me a little, a few questions there. So at some point on the internet or in a library somewhere, John has found the source that says Nellie came up with a name, was named after the character Uncle Toby from Tristram Shandy, and that has gone from the internet. So I decided to go direct to the source, Uncle Toby's customer service. And I asked them in a very polite email, who was Uncle Toby? Was he a relative of any of the founders? Or is it perhaps uh, a callback call to a, a character perhaps from Tristram Shandy? Um, I'm just love wanting to clear that up given that it's your 130th anniversary. Very, very sort of polite. And they responded, thank you for contacting us. Uncle Toby's is our registered trademark and not a person. We started milling oats back in 1893 with the first Uncle Toby's oats product introduced to the market by Clifford Love & Co in Sydney. It entered the homes and hearts of Australian families and we haven't looked back since, providing Australians with a vast range of nutritious and delicious breakfast cereals and snacks to help nourish the active Australian but lifestyle. who is he? And then they left a quote to the About Us page, which oh, I had contacted them yeah. from. Uh, we hope this information is helpful and wish you all the best. It was not helpful and I responded asking for a little more. I said, well, you didn't answer my question. Is it related to Tristram Shandy? So no mention of an uncle, no acknowledgement of the Tristram Shandy connection. So that's all the information we have in front of us. I've put together a theory. Okay. I want to hear it. This is my theory. It cannot be a coincidence that the name Uncle Toby's and the red-coated gentleman on the logo are clear representations of the character from the novel Tristram Shandy. So somewhere, someone, somewhere must own the copyright and the rights to the name and likeness of the character, Uncle Toby, which is why Nestle, the owners of Uncle Toby's, are keeping it quiet. And maybe Nellie Love, uh, who came up with the character and logo in the first place, never got permission to use the name or the likeness when she named her brother's oat brand. Perhaps the copyright owners are even the filmmakers of a postmodern meta 2005 film version of Tristram Shandy, also known as A Cock and Bull Story, starring Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon and Gillian Anderson as Widow Wadman. There's no, I haven't rewatched it, and there's no mention of the of uh, Uncle Toby character appearing in the film. 
They're not eating porridge in the film at any stage. I haven't seen that happening. <laughs> but the fact is somebody owns the copyright to the film mm. characters at very least. That film's financed by the BBC. Okay. So when Nestle spooked by the possibility of being sued by the BBC or director Michael Winterbottom and scrubbed the internet in 2005 when the film came out of any mention linking Tristram Shandy and Uncle Toby's. One blogger knew too much. They took all his sources away, sent him back to Canada where he can't cause any more problems. Exiled him. Exiled. So we're blowing this wide open. Yeah. We're on to you, Uncle Toby's, <laughs> if that is your real name. And your literature degree just paid for itself. <laughs> no, finally. <laughs> All right, don't freak out, Ben. Don't freak out, listeners. But my next story, my next fact is related to war history. (laughs) I know. Your second favourite war, Ben, not the Civil War, World War II. World War II, okay. Um, So something I've picked up over the past, you know, eight or so years of listening to your war facts is that there were food rations. Yep. That's the only thing I've gleaned, by the way. (laughs) But it's something. So... In the lead-up to food rationing in 1942, newspapers around Australia introduced a concept called beefless days. Yeah. Okay. And it said the eating of beef as well as selling or buying it on a beefless day is prohibited in a formal order issued tonight by the Minister for War Organisation of Industry to give effect to the government's decision to fix two beefless days weekly. So this was to ensure, like, the fighting forces had enough beef. Blah, blah, blah. The order applied to fresh, chilled, frozen or salted or canned beef, ox tongue, oxtails, cooked beef or sausages containing beef or any other manufactured product, any other manufactured product containing beef. Ben, do you think you could do two beefless days a week? I mean, I think I, I, think I could, <laughs> but I mean... There, there's more flavouring around now than there was in yeah, 1942. Yeah, so <laughs> there's a few extra <laughs> other ingredients around. Yeah, well, that's right, because at the time people needed help to cope with the lack of beef. Yes. <laughs> um, and so the Brisbane Telegraph offered a recipe for mock sausages. They said take one cupful of breadcrumbs, one cupful of cooked potatoes, one cupful of oatmeal porridge, salt and pepper, half a finely chopped onion, a small quantity of sage, Mix together, roll in flour into the shape of a sausage, mm. then fry in boiling fat until crisp and brown. Yeah. So, of course, I've made you a beefless day <laughs> porridge sausage. <laughs> oh, joy. Wow. That's a genuine surprise. Emily has been hiding that under the desk. And I've got some sauce. Is that, sauce. is that beefless tomato sauce? <laughs> it is beefless. It's probably a bit. Thank more you. delicious than okay. whatever they were putting on their wow. beefless sausages. Oh, okay. Beefless sausage. I mean, you know, it looks like a thing. It's sausagey. Mm. What's the fat content in here? Um, I don't think there's much fat. There's just breadcrumbs. Oh, there's potatoes. Potato, oatmeal, oatmeal. Oh, porridge. Just made with water. I use the like world world's best porridge in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Salt yeah. and pepper. The, the onion. I don't porridge. think there's much fat. No. Okay. Well, oh, obviously it's cooked in sauce. oil. I mean, this is this is working for me. This is not the worst sausage I've ever had. <laughs> I reckon it can't just can't taste like stuffing. Mm. Stuffing's good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with this. Gonna have more beefless days in your yeah, house. Yeah, I, I am now. 
and let me never do a war fact again. That's my the only one I ever <laughs> ever ever do. Well, luckily our listeners don't have to wait long until there's another one. <laughs> Emily. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh what do you know about the Anzac biscuit? Oh, I know they're delicious. I'm going to have to uh, make you conjure it from memory because I didn't make you, <laughs> make oh, you any. Come on. <laughs> um, sweet. Like I, th- I think the official recipe has like golden syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a peanut butter that tastes like Anzac biscuits. It's called Odie Nut Butter by sure. Fix and Fog. It's delicious. Okay. But yeah, oats, I know butter, golden syrup. Yeah. They're all good things. Yeah. It's usually a simple mixture of flour, oats, golden syrup, desiccated coconut, sugar, butter, and bicarb of soda. Mm. Really simple recipe. Um, But where did it come from? And what does it have to do with World War One? Well. Let's just say they're delicious. We don't have to go into it. (laughs) (laughs) We've got another mystery. And I was, I was going to hold this to the end because I didn't want to do two, two internet based mysteries back to back, but. You brought up war and I needed to retake my territory. Don't worry. Just like the Anzacs, just protecting the the, uh, Dardanelles from the... Anyway, let's not go into that. Okay. Anzac Day. Sorry. This is from your boyfriend, Jamie Oliver's website. Anzac Day is a day of remembrance observed in Australia and New Zealand. It falls on the anniversary of the Australian New Zealand Army Corps, Anzac, landing at Gallipoli in Turkey. The day was originally observed to honour the soldiers who died in that conflict, but now commemorates and honours all Australian and New Zealand servicemen and women, past and present, who have served and died in all wars, conflicts and peacekeeping operations. So that's uh, for any of our international visitors, that's what Anzac Day is, that's who the Anzacs were, that's how we commemorate you know, sort of like a, our, our own little Australian New Zealand Remembrance Day. It's uh, back to the website. It's a popular myth that they're called Anzac biscuits because they were shipped to the Anzac soldiers during the war. However, while it's true that they travel excellently and don't contain any ingredients that easily spoil, the name Anzac biscuits didn't meet up with these buttery oaty cook didn't meet up with these buttery oaty cookies until ni- until the nineteen twenties. In reality, the biscuits were more often made at home to sell for fundraising or to serve at fates and other events to help raise money for the war effort. And it's this connection between the biscuits and the war that led to the use of the name Anzacs. That sounds good to me, mm-hmm. Jamie Oliver website. Case closed. Thanks, there's the fact. Yeah. Move on. Except this is contested. I want to talk about an article uh, from The Guardian which Quotes Alison Reynolds, the author of Anzac Biscuits, The Power and Spirit of an Everyday National Icon. She's written a whole book. Wow. About Anzac Biscuits. Uh, I haven't read the book. I've just read this article <laughs> in The Guardian uh, in, in which uh, she says, Prior to 1915, there were many biscuit recipes baked at home that were precursors to uh, Anzacs, such as munchies, rolled oat biscuits, surprise biscuits, nutties, brownies, crispies, to name but a few. The War Chest Cookery Book, published in 1917 by the Sydney War Chest Fund, contains the earliest reference in an Australian cookery book to Anzac biscuits. Now, if you know your war, 1914 to 1918 is when the, the uh, World War One happened. So already during World War One, not the 1920s, as Jamie Oliver's mm. website says, we're talking about Anzac biscuits. However, the ingredients are different. Uh, there are no oats There's uh, or golden syrup or coconut. The rolled oat biscuit recipe on the same page is closer to an Anzac biscuit. So maybe they're sort of rolling two things in together. 
but it goes on. The important thing with the Anzac recipe is it didn't contain eggs, so the home front bakers used golden syrup to bind the ingredients. This also added to the keeping qualities and the taste. This is what separated the Anzac biscuit from the others. It was a recipe without eggs that used the melting method and where the mixture was shaped into balls before baking instead of being rolled and cut. Keeping qualities were particularly important at the time because Anzac biscuits were originally featured in care packages sent to soldiers during World War I. Yeah. Completely discrediting, I'm sorry, your boyfriend Jamie Oliver's website. Somebody who's written a whole book about Anzac biscuits says that they were sent to soldiers. The biscuit was a popular item to include in care packages because it was made from store cupboard ingredients. It was quick to make and bake and much cheaper to post than a fruitcake. Uh, it was the importance of receiving something from home and a morale booster. So we may never know whether Anzac biscuits were sent to actual Anzacs, but there is one thing we can agree on. The world is a better place for their existence. And they're delicious. That's, yeah, we'll agree on that part. All right. Fine. (laughs) So if you look back over the course of my life, I would say there's two main food eras. There's, and they're defined by muesli bars. So there's the Uncle Toby's era <laughs> and the Carmen's era. <laughs> Can we just say, we're not being paid not by Uncle spot. Toby's. No. <laughs> Maybe we should be, although I, I did just accuse them of yeah. uh, scrubbing the internet <laughs> and not paying copyright. Okay, anyway, go on. Yes. So as a kid, I mainly had the Uncle Toby's apricot muesli bars, the ones with like the thin layer of yogurt on top. Oh, uh, yeah. And then as an adult, I kind of graduated to Carmen's. Um, amazing work snack. Um, side note, when I left Broadsheet, I was cleaning out the cupboard next to my desk and no joke, there were at least 12 Carmen's muesli bar boxes in there just that I hadn't been bothered to put in recycling because I was too stressed. Um, but yeah, great snack for when you can't leave your desk and you're very hungry. Um, Anyway, I've eaten thousands and thousands and thousands of muesli bars over my life. And over those years, I've noticed something. Even when you get the same brand, the same variety, even sometimes the same box, the textural quality of the muesli bar can vary greatly. Interesting. Sometimes you bite into one, your teeth sink right in and it's sticky and satisfying. There's a bend to the bar. Delicious. Sometimes you go to bite it and it snaps or like it doesn't and you have to get your molars on there and it's brittle and it's not enjoyable and I don't know what the rhyme or reason is with these things. Mm. Like, And I want to get to the bottom of it because it really annoys me and I've invested thousands of dollars into these businesses. I'm basically a shareholder. Um, so I need, I need to make my muesli bar experience consistently more amazing. So I turned to Google and I typed in, why do muesli bars go hard? And I ended up on recipe tin eats and I would trust that woman with my life. And so she has a recipe that is an interpretation of the Carmen's bars. And on her recipe, she said, the muesli bars are firmer slash chewier when fridge cold. Then they soften to store-bought muesli bar level chewiness at room temperature. So is it about the temperature Mm. we store them at? Are my poor little Carmen's suffering in the cold air of my house? Mm. Let's try an Ingredipedia original hack. Oh. So my idea. An original hack. Yes. My Straight idea, to TikTok. My idea is to microwave a muesli bar briefly to get the ideal texture. I just went up and tried it because mm-hmm. I, I had like one, I was going to have one that 
wasn't microwaved and the other one that was. And I did 15 seconds and it just was a pile of oats <laughs> when I went to pick it up. So we have one. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a te- texture check first of this one. It's Okay. It's already pretty chewy. Yeah. I'm not hearing a lot of snap or crunch in there. Yes, there's no snap. So it's not the worst I've ever had, but it wasn't very... It was still hard to bite into. Right. Like, and you can see that it's like very dense and doesn't have a lot of bend. Okay. So I like them to be a bit more flexible than this. Okay. Um, so I'm going to do a little liking. microwave test. I'm going to do five seconds. Okay. I'm going to come back. All right. All right. That was five seconds in the microwave. Let's try again. Mm. The perfect level. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I didn't have the before. Yeah. But is that like the perfect but the after, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit too soft. Mm. You couldn't? Nah, it's pretty good. I love that. I just saw you take a bigger bite and a little bit fell out. So Yeah. I mean, you don't really know what you're doing. You sound like you don't really know how to eat muesli bars properly, so maybe it's just using I'm not a, error. I'm not a muesli bar guy. No. Um, but and it shows. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's not possible that you just microwave <laughs> that your hack doesn't really work. That I yeah. don't know how to eat music bars. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Okay. And to be honest, that's the that's now my point of this fact <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know how to eat yeah. music bars. Wow. No. Well, it does. <laughs> like going back to my fact, it does make sense that like. When it's heated, like honey and golden syrup are kind of more pliable and Mm -hmm. they don't harden, like they harden when it gets cold. Yeah. I mean, it's probably high fructose corn syrup, really. Oh, Ben, you have so much, (laughs) so much hate for oats and like oat products in general. I doubt that that's in farmers. No, 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 no. There's golden syrup in here. There's genuine golden syrup. Yes. Okay. All right. Sorry, Carmen, if that is your real name. Uh, no, it's Carolyn Creswell is oh, her real name. Okay, thanks. So, sorry, Carolyn. She puts her name on the box, unlike Uncle Toby. She has her signature. She she probably Uncle Toby could take. She probably owns her own likeness as well. <laughs> She's not scrubbing the internet anytime soon. <laughs> Emily, it's going to be no surprise to you that plant-based milks are a thing. No, no surprise. Um, I, d- I dabble in plant-based milks you, occasionally. Do, what do you have a plant? Based milk of choice. Of course I do, Ben. Oat. Interesting. <laughs> um, okay. Oatmeal is a thing. Uh, obviously, people are more cognizant of the environmental effects of dairy. It uses 628 litres of water for every single litre of dairy. Mm-hmm. So so we know plant-based milks are better for the environment. Um, and I can tell you. Why, you know, for example, almond milk uses 371 litres of water. Rice milk uses 270 litres. Oat milk only uses 48 litres. But almond milk's bad for bees. Almond milk is bad for bees. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. So I've put together, when I say I, I mean uh, (laughs) the conversation and an article by uh, Dora Marinova, a professor of sustainability at Curtin University, and Diana uh, Bogueva, a postdoctoral researcher at Curtin University, have basically have written an article called uh, 
which milk is the best for, for the environment? We compared dairy, nut, soy, hemp, and grain milks. Dairy, yeah, okay. So dairy, safe to say, not good. Delicious though. Delicious, but deadly. Um, but how do you how do you kind of rate the others? Uh, you know, and and so I've got in front of us here almond milk, yeah, soy milk, oat milk, yeah, and straight up dairy. Okay, so almond, soy, oat, and dairy. And yep. I want you Aww. to have a taste. You don't yep. need to sort of pick which is which, but just okay. tell me which ones are the most flavoursome. Okay. And we're going to plot that against how good or bad they are oh, for yeah. the environment. Okay, cool. Because, you know, it's one thing to be good for the environment. It's another thing if it's absolutely kind of no good and doesn't replicate milk at all and you can't really use it for anything, yep. then it's not really a replacement, right? Okay. Okay, first one. Em's drinking from the black cup. I don't like that one. I think that is almond milk. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's soy milk. That's sweet. I like that one. I think that's cow milk. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one's sweet too. I think this is oat milk. Emily, you are four from four <laughs> on the blind tasting yes. of plant-based and dairy milk. So that you've you've scored you've you've identified them correctly, but which one do you prefer? Like if you went, mm. I like this one the best. The cow's milk. Cow's milk, number one, is worse for the environment. Yes. I mentioned some of the stats there. Uh, number two. Oat. Oat. Good news there. Oat is along with uh, hemp and rice milk, um, not too bad for the environment. If you look at land use, it uses 0.8 square metres per year. Um, to, to make oat milk, whereas cow's milk uses 8.9 square metres. Soy uses slightly less. Um, and as you mentioned, almond uses slightly less as well. But you also mentioned almond is bad for bees. Mm. Uh, the biggest environmental concern with almond production is the high mortality of bees used for tree cross-pollination. This might be because the bees are exposed to pesticides, including glyphosate and in Intensive industrial agriculture with drastically transforms nature's fragile ecosystems. Uh, even in Australia, where almond orchards are smaller scale and less industrialised, beekeepers do not experience such problems. Still, millions of bees are needed, and fires, droughts, floods, smoke, and heat damage can threaten their health. So, you're kind of on the fence with like soy milk, maybe no good. Oh, yeah, no, that's too sweet, and I don't like the taste. Yeah. Okay, so soy milk, no good for you. Almond milk, n- no, no good also either. Tasteless. Also bad for bees. Oat milk, I guess, is coming through pretty well. Yeah. Because and it mixes well with coffee. Like it tastes good when you have it with like a flat white. Again, we're not being paid, but that is minor figures. Oat milk, which is you know made for baristas and mm. and whatnot. So yeah, it's it. I I guess that scores pretty well. Like uh, like it it's good on the environmental credentials, and it tastes almost as good as the real thing. Mm. So oats, maybe that is the Best use and not porridge is what I'm getting at. Oh, I why not both? Why not both? No, I I usually have um, full cream dairy milk in porridge because I make it for my son too. And like kids have to have dairy, right? Yeah, I guess. <clears throat> don't they? I don't know. Tell me. I, not according to these thought. researchers from Curtin University. Oh, no, really? I'm kidding. Um, yeah, look, yeah, it, it's it's not a bad thing for them for sure. Yeah, but then I sometimes have oat lattes or oat flat whites, whatever. Mm. If I feel like I'm 
being a wanker. It's also a bit wanky to... Yeah, I guess. But, like, is it wanky to care about the environment, Emily? No, and that's why I do it. That's why I do it. But I do prefer uh, just a dairy flat white. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't apologise, though. All right. Okay, what did we talk about? Talked about Australia's best porridge, beefless days made you an oatmeal sausage, and then I tried out my little muesli bar hack. And I talked about the lie behind Uncle Toby's. Uh, maybe not the lie, just the irregularity, the mystery. Mm, intrigue. The scandal. <laughs> uh, then I talked about Anzac biscuits again, intrigue and scandal. And then we ranked some plant-based milks based on whether Emily likes them or not. I did okay. Mm. So you can vote for whose facts you found the most interesting on our Instagram, on Ingridopedia. Um, ben, he's been in a drought of, of not winning for so Need some long. wins. <laughs> Need some wins, guys. Will his mysteries, will his scandals push him up there? <laughs> Lord knows. Let's... I emailed some people this time. <laughs> Come on. Thank you for listening. Bye.